0: Don Shuler, Certified Trainer and Business Consultant at the Shuler Group with When People Thrive, Companies Thrive podcast. Today, I am super excited to have on my show, Dean Hallett, President of Hallett Leadership. And I'll give you just a one sentence bio because I think it's impressive. He says he's best known for being CFO over at, at Fox. And some of what he's been able to do as a result there, and then of course in his own company, is pretty amazing, especially when it comes to leadership. So Dean, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks Don. it's great to be here. I'm, I'm excited, I'm exci- first of all, I'm excited at what you do. I'm excited to be able to have conversations around people's development and training and, and being around people that are looking to help people grow and experience more, not just in business, but in their personal lives as well.
0: One of the things that impressed me as I was reading through your bio and and some of what you offer on your website is that um, you developed this nine-month training program for people over at Fox Studios. And so you had 1,100 people that went through this program and that the culture there was really somewhat tight-lipped. Ideas and innovations weren't really encouraged but then you had 1,100 people go through your program and now all of a sudden they were putting up uh, ideas and and what you have, what, what you wrote was chaos ensued. And so I want to start there as far as that idea that what's the culture and how does that inform, drive or be informed or be driven by leadership?
1: Okay. Uh- it, at Fox, there were really two elements that are, are, we're talking about in terms of what kind of training we did. I did the nine month program, the accelerated leadership program, and that grew organically, which we can talk about. Started with a small team in finance and just really was let's have breakfast on Tuesdays and talk about life with a small group of the middle management team. And it grew into a program where we would teach leadership how to give and receive feedback, how to empower teams. HR came to me and said, we want you to do it for the whole studio. It's not fair that you're doing it just for finance. Mm -hmm. So that was a very successful program we did over a number of years, typically anywhere between 15 and 25 people at a time. The 1,100 people that you mentioned, that was a workshop we did. Stacey Snyder came into the studio and said, I want our studio to be open. I want it to be collaborative. I want to have the healthy debate about topics I want to get. I want people to feel comfortable to bring ideas to the table. So we did a two-day workshop for 1,100 people, including our international folks. And what we realized was people suddenly, for the first time, really felt permission to start bringing their ideas forward. It was awesome. And I love when you're dealing with the middle ranks, and that's why I love teaching in the middle ranks, because those people learn it, and they grow and they develop and as they take on positions of more and more responsibility, they end up being infectious in their style and that spreads throughout the rest of the organization and they build trust, mutual respect from the top down. The challenge when you suddenly do it with 1,100 people who haven't been acting that way is that there's no structure, there's no methodology for bringing those ideas forward and it was like an onslaught. And it was chaos for a little while, we had to, to develop some sort of a, a task force. We have a steering committee. We built task forces to try and take similar ideas and combine them and get a smaller group of people to run with them because otherwise it was just drinking from a fire hose of ideas and no prioritization at all.
0: So do you see a, a strong correlation? Let me ask that differently where would you start with an organization? Would you start with that culture and that task force idea, or would you start with the leadership program?
1: Oh, okay, that's not what I thought you were gonna ask me. So I, <laughs> I would start with, I th- ideally I would start with the workshop, the two-day workshop, because it's, it's sort of an introduction and an eye-opener about what's possible. And to to do a couple of exercises where people really get an inside view of what their automatic behaviors are like, how they have these fixed beliefs and fixed behaviors they've formed over the years, and how it's driving the way they interact with people, the way they manage teams. And it's nice to have that wake-up call. And then I would like to go, once you have that, then you have people that are raring to go, and then you go into the nine-month program, and you hit the ground running.
0: And this program you said is really at that middle manager level. Yes.
1: Well, yeah, that's what I thought you were going to ask me. Where would I like to start at the middle management or at the senior level in an ideal world? I would rather start at the top. If I truly had a CEO and senior management team that believed in this, that truly wanted an open culture, collaborative organization, they wanted the ideas flowing and they were willing to, uh, to walk the walk and, I only find a certain percentage of CEOs that truly are in that place. A lot of them think they are. They really want an open collaborative culture is what they're saying, but it it turns out that they really want people to just be more willing to just jump in and do all the work that's necessary in line with their vision. And the nice thing about starting with middle management, if I go there, is they're like sponges. They don't have these uh, preconceived notions about how to lead teams, if I can get them right when they're starting to lead teams early in their career, they may have some ideas, but they haven't practiced for years and years. And they're open to ideas and they come out of the program and they're super excited. If you don't have a senior management team that's aligned with that, then they get to a point where they start saying, well, this is great, but what about these guys above us? What's gonna happen there? Because we all trust and have this respect for each other and bring ideas forward but they're, they don't operate that way. How do we change them? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no perfect answer unless I get that senior management team from the top, who's raring to go.
0: So in that second scenario where you were to start with the middle manager, would you say that maybe there's a trickle up effect?
1: There is, it just takes longer. If you start at the top, there's clearly a trickle down effect. If they really believe it, you can do the training with more and more people. There is a trickle up effect as the people take on larger responsibilities in the organization. And what I love is it's when I do this in a company, there's so much, so many different benefits. Not only do they benefit by having this mutual trust and respect with each other, the leadership actually knows that they can reach out to these people and get a, a non-political answer. They can get a straight answer about what's really happening to the company, what's in the way. You have trust that's developed across the organization so you're not getting biased perspectives just from one division these people will work together to figure out what's best for the organization as a whole so there's a lot of different benefits that, that come along with it too
0: so i have several questions so I, I my brain and my mouth have to work together to make sure that <laughs> one comes out at the at the right time and they're not fighting over each other because i also think that there's a there's a way to look at this. So do you, first of all, think that everyone has the potential to be a leader?
1: I do, I do. I often say that I'm not a a big believer in the Peter Principle, which says that people elevate or or are promoted to their level of incompetence. And I believe they're promoted to the level uh, up to which they've been trained. And then if they get to a level where they haven't been trained, they stagnate and they don't thrive and they get stuck there. And so they're in a position where they're probably least effective in any role they've ever been, because it's a little bit beyond where they've been trained and companies feel I, my experience is most companies believe, or at least operate in a way that they believe people will learn through osmosis. They can sink or swim. They don't take the real time to develop them. And I have seen unbelievable transformations in people, when you actually sit down with them. And I was lucky. I was lucky when I was 20, 21 years old, I was trying to figure life out. I felt like there was something more and I didn't know what it was. And I got introduced to back then what was called self-awareness training. Now it would probably be called EQ training, emotional intelligence training. And I learned so much about human connection, so much about what drives people, what inspires people, and really, I was able to take that and adapt it over time for business, initially for how I operated in business. And then ultimately, that became the foundation for the programs that I do. And I believe that people can learn the lessons that I learned so much faster if they're just given the opportunity. And and I the reason the nine-month program is so valuable is because you can do a weekend workshop, you can have... Um, you know, somebody come in and be a guest speaker one time and you can get some great ideas. And as soon as you go back to your office and chaos hits, it's stimulus response. We go right back to the way that we have always operated in the nine month program. We integrate, we spend the time alongside them integrating the behaviors into their day-to-day activities and it sticks. And again, that's why they get frustrated if it's not the same at the top, because this is the way they live their lives now. And it's, if it's inconsistent with the senior management team, they struggle.
0: I love that you have that integration piece. And I think so many programs across industries miss that, that three-day program, whatever it might be, but where's the opportunity to integrate it? Because if you're just going for those one to three days or even a week, it's it's all out here and it has to absorb internally in order for there to be real change.
1: Sure, and if somebody's, if we go through, again, we do exercises, what I call discovery model exercises, where they have an experience of a different behavior that they can tap into. And then they work to bring that into their day-to-day activities. And when they're struggling as part of the program, everybody gets coaching. We have conversations as a group, we have conversations one-on-one. Even within the group, I think one of the biggest growth opportunities in the program is the interaction with each other. They learn to give and receive feedback. Well, once they learn to give and receive feedback in a way that fosters trust, fosters mutual respect, they then make those attempts in the real world back at their office with the people they are dealing with in their day-to-day activities and they'll struggle. They'll, They'll come up against themselves and that's why we're a resource. And the group is a resource. They can also tap into other people in the group. You know, here's what I'm dealing with. What do you suggest? What are your ideas? And it gives them a trusted network of how to approach things as opposed to just giving it their best guess. They may be guessing right, but this is new. And new behaviors take a while to integrate and get comfortable with.
0: So, a quick side question your accelerated leadership program is are those people from different organizations across the board, or do you usually try to keep it you know, within a pod within an organization?
1: It can be across the organization, but it is within one organization. And it's, it's because they're like I started to mention, there's, there's a few different benefits. There's the trusted network the group creates with themselves there is the benefit for the company of a trusted network out there where people are collaborating more effectively and spreading that type of behavior. And at the end of the program, the last two to three months, we take on one or more projects, depending upon the group that are dealing with key situations that are going on in the company or in the industry. And they work together and end up doing a presentation with senior management it might be doing a a strategic plan with another group in the organization they're coming up with presentations but those presentations by design we have the groups come from different areas of the company so when i was at fox home entertainment would often come in and do a presentation about what the landscape looked like but it had a home entertainment bias to it when we're then looking at what do we do for our consumer overall who might be watching in theater might be watching at home might wait until it comes on TV and some streaming service. How do we serve that customer the best? And we would have a group that would come together and look across the entire landscape and not try to favor one revenue stream or another. And I like that. Yeah, it, it really makes a huge difference. And if I go to different organizations, that benefit doesn't really happen. The the individual organization doesn't get the benefit at the top. I think it's one of the big uh, one of the big pieces of value that are are worthy to the company.
0: And I can see that. I can see that the value to the organization would be huge having that, that group of people go through the Accelerated Leadership Program, and then the organization gets that benefit. Uh, there could be a benefit to having a resource that's outside of the organization, but I agree with you that I think it's a the advantage of having it within the organization outweighs any advantage of having a mixture of people from here, there, and everywhere. Yeah.
1: I I do executive coaching one-on-one and and so individuals can bring those ideas into their company, but usually that's, again, like, kind of like the workshop starting to get some impact in the company where they see what's possible. And then they're looking to take that to a much greater level.
0: So, uh, the next place I want to go is this idea of, do you see a difference between a leader and a manager?
1: I do. Um, the kind of leader I think, when I think about a leader, I think about, especially in today's world where there's so much um, disruption, there's so much change coming at you. It's, it's in my opinion, impossible for one individual to just drive the organization through command and control from their perspective. And if, if all I'm doing is having somebody tell a, a group what to do, I can, I can get a group to produce, I can get them to hit a deadline, I can get them to put reports a certain way, I can manage them, but that is not necessarily developing them. I think of a, 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 an example I can give you, and it goes back a ways. I was at Disney for 11 years before Fox. A lot of the people that were, and then Disney just recently bought the Fox studios. The P pe- a lot of the people from the film division who were in this culture that we created, where they could bring ideas forward, how to make the company better. They then went to Disney and in so many cases were essentially told, here's the work that we want you to do. Go over to your office and just do that. And that didn't develop them. They now look a lot of credit to Disney. They've got great brands. They, you know, pre-COVID had amazing results and they were the envy of every other studio in the business. But at the same time, the people there were not happy. The people that came in, they they felt like nobody's developing. I'm just sitting here and I'm producing, I'm producing for the greater good, but I'm not doing anything that's gonna help my career grow. So um, I think leadership is about drawing forth the, the, I, I think there are so many great ideas that live in the hearts and the minds of our people. And a true leader is somebody who is looking to draw that out of them. Um, I mentioned fixed beliefs and fixed behaviors before we have. One of the things I talk about in the trainings that I do is we talk about what's a little childlike, what are, what are some attributes that they have and they have, you know, they're brave, they're spontaneous, they're honest, they're actually really powerful. They get whatever they want, you know, and you know, nobody's taught them how to do that. It's just what they do. And, So we have this whole list of attributes and we say well are we like that and the first reaction is typically well no or sometimes and maybe we feel like we can let that side of us out in a group people that we have a greater level of trust with but we have these what we say what happened life happened you know maybe johnny ran out in the front yard to go play and somebody told him to get lost you creep and then all of a sudden he forms beliefs about himself beliefs that his mother doesn't really love him beliefs that the front yard is dangerous all these things and then he starts behaving differently because of these attitudes and at that center that's our authentic self and the leader is the one who's working with their people to connect with that authentic self that authentic leader who can then who is inspiring who is honest spontaneous and can help ideas creativity innovation can really flow when you get people to operate at that level
0: I was um, I was in the audience during a speech given by a CEO of an organization and she was talking about her history and she said that she'd been uh, she'd been head of a sales department her department outdid any of the other departments and she got promoted to CEO and she said she spent the next 2 years hanging on to her seat because there were other people who wanted who wanted that position and my first thought And it's been my lasting thought whenever I think about that story is she needed to either fire or inspire. If she had people going after her job, either inspire them to follow her leadership or fire them and get rid of them because they're not helping the organization. And I always felt that that really shaped my vision of what a leader is. It's you inspire, you inspire those around you. Right. And, and I love how you bring in the authentic self. And wouldn't that be amazing if organization after organization after organization adopted these values and said, we really celebrate the authentic person in our staff and employees. How can we help them thrive? How can we help them develop?
1: Right. I, I think what happens in so many cases is people, people develop. That, uh, that their own people perform, they get promoted, they get areas of greater and greater responsibility. And two things happen. One, they think uh, what I've been doing has got me here, therefore what I'm doing works. So I don't want to abandon that. And I mean, if that was individual performance, I don't want to let go of what I'm doing as an individual. They're also expected to hire up in the organization to have the answer. And so, you know, there's so many things to know out there and especially in this world, like I talked about disruption and change where we don't know the answer, but there's a reluctance to say, I don't know. So we get in this, we actually get into uh, a category of what I call, I don't know what I don't know, which can also be referred to as, I think I know. (laughs) They think they have the answer and they start operating from a place where they don't really know the answer and they're not willing to get input because they don't want to tell anybody they don't know the answer. And that's a really dangerous place to be. But it ties in because you're talking about people holding on to their old seat, people holding on to the knowledge that got to know where they are. They're not willing to let go. To grow sometimes, you need to let go. Um, it, it's, it's a silly story. I tell a lot of silly stories, and I, I have friends that do this kind of work and they tell these stories and they, they just tell them, and, and I think, God, what a corny story. But it, it, there's a point to it. I always preface it by saying it's a corny story, but you can actually trap a monkey. With a box, put a hole in the box and put a banana inside the box. Monkey reaches his hand in, grabs the banana, but with the banana, the hand won't come out and the monkey will not let go.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's a parallel for what we do. We don't wanna let go of what we know because it's our security blanket, but we have to step outside, get beyond our comfort zone in order to grow.
0: So one of the reasons I brought up that question of if you see a difference between leaders and managers, and, and my belief around that is um, all managers should be leaders, but not all leaders are, de- are necessarily managers because anybody can have that, those leadership qualities because I really believe it's more of a quality and manager is more of your job role.
1: Um,
0: but the better managers are the ones that are, that are developed growing, evolving people, AKA leaders. Um, We have a new client and we're working with their management and leadership team. And one of the managers has been newly promoted uh, to give the VP a a bit of a, you know, a break because she was handling everything. She needed someone to help. So she um, promoted him to manager. What we've discovered in, in just, you know, our couple of weeks of working with them is he doesn't want to manage. He just wants to be left alone. He he doesn't want to have to do all that. I don't know if it's that he thinks it's too touchy feely, or he it it it's a bother to him. And so now we're at this place where you know to to fulfill you know our duties and and do a good job with you know as as consultants and trainers is to say he's not in the right role or. He needs some sort of training to like like you said, maybe it's at that level of of incompetence. And and so maybe it's not that he doesn't really want to do it. He just yeah. has no idea how to do it. And so therefore he shrinks into this little ball. So I'd love or, to hear maybe your he
1: no no where no idea how to give and receive feedback. And so doesn't want to deal with that confrontation with an employee. It's like, no, no, just let me go do my work. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone that way.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And one uh, of the one of the, the things, uh, do you know Stanley, General Stanley McChrystal? Have you heard of him? I don't he think was, so. He was the general who was, I think for the first time, he was put in charge of all, I love this story because it, it just it's the epitome of what we're talking about. He was put in charge of all the special forces in Afghanistan and every, you know, the Army, Navy, Marine, they all have their elite force and they all think they're the best. And so there's a, they have different cultures and he came in to lead all of them. This was during uh, Afghanistan and we were getting our butts kicked over there. We were, they, for every mission we were doing, we were winning every mission we did, but we were doing like one mission every 30 days and they were always ahead of us in Afghanistan. And so what he did is he said, I don't have the bandwidth the, these ideas about how to put a mission together would flow all the way up to him and then go all the way back to the front lines. And half the time, when they got, the time they got back to the front lines, things had changed. So he started doing a conference call and I think it started smaller, but he ultimately had 1500 or 2000 people on this conference call every Monday. And he shared everything that he knew about everything that was going on. Certain people were allowed to bring up questions so that they could have some interaction going on. And they would say, well, here's the situation. What would you do General?" He goes, well, I don't know because I'm not there. I don't have all the information. He goes, but based on what you've told me, here's how I would think about it. Here's how I would approach it. And he taught all of them to think how he thought about these issues and they became aligned in how they would address the challenges. And suddenly we were doing missions every day and we completely turned the tide around in Afghanistan. So he was willing to say, I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I'll, I'll help create an environment where we can share information and we can come to the best answers and you can be empowered to make the decisions that you need to make.
0: So that brings up a really core concept that, that I wanna talk about now, which is that idea of teaching somebody how you think because we might be lightning quick, or we do what we do, you know, we're, we have our zone of genius and it looks like magic to everyone else but nobody's inside us to actually understand that process. And if we take that time to say, let me, let me share with you m- my thought pattern or my, my progress or, or all the different places I go. Um, uh, yeah, that's just like, I-, I love that. That being, so I, so I want to continue along that and I'll get to a question for you in a moment. Um, I'm a really big fan of Gallup's Clifton Strengths Finders tool. And one of the 34 strengths is strategic, and it's my number two strength out of, out of the 34. And what it is is it's this ability to see the landscape, you know, scan it, and go, here's the three options I can see, and I think this one's going to be the best one because of this, 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 and this. And it's this ability to do if, this, then, that, very quickly. As with most gifts and strengths, it can be frustrating that other people don't do that. <laughs> like, like you just look at it. You da, 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 da. So, from that standpoint, here's the question. Finally, is we are born with certain gifts and skills, and we develop others, and some are very natural. And how much of what we're talking about in this particular case—that let's think strategically, for example—do you think can be taught?
1: I think I was going to ask you that question. I was going to say how much of that for you, do you think was innate as opposed to learning through experience over time? I mean, we're all different. We have different strengths. The value to me is if, if I'm in an environment where we're sharing everything that we know as a team, there may be somebody in the room who is more strategic than me, who may be able to add to something that I'm thinking about. So I might have my frustrations with certain things where maybe I'm quicker than they are but i'm also going to be benefiting from the things that they bring to the table where it's more natural for them and i think through that process we can all get better at it but it's it, there's still going to be differences there's still going to be people that are better at certain things than others and, and we need to build our teams that way to make sure that we have everything in our arsenal that we need um i, I think you can develop and grow and get better at those things um uh, but clearly um it's like One of the things, when I said before, I don't know what I don't know, there's another category called, I don't know what I know. And the example I always give in that was that I don't know how I started doing it, but I always seem to, in my life, be the kind of person that gets the person way over here on one side to work with the person over here on the other side. And left to their own devices, they would never collaborate together. This is in business. This is in my family when we have breakdowns. I'm only, calling me the mediator, call me whatever you want. <laughs> it's something I do naturally. It's, it's hard for me to explain other than for people to see it happen. In these trainings that I do, people see it happen. They see how I do it and how I get people to work together. And I teach them a lot about it is developing mutual trust and respect, being open and honest so people don't believe that you have a different agenda and all those things. So with our experience, if we take the time we probably can help people build these skills more effectively. Um, but to your point, there, there's a natural aspect to it that some people are just going to be better.
0: Absolutely. it's um, And I think that the key is, like you said, you just do it and you don't even think about it. So it's hard for you to break that down. But in your workshops, people are observing you and they're more able to break that down and say, right. well, first he did this, then he did that. And right. then they can lay out that that process that, that you went through. And then it becomes at least somewhat teachable and somewhat transferable. Um, if you ever watched it, go
1: ahead. I was going to say, I'm completely honest with them in the workshop. So when, or in, the, in the accelerated leadership program, we spend nine months together. And I tell them what's going on in my life because they think that, well, while I was CFO, I'm above the fray, I've moved past all this stuff. And one night I was, I got home and I got a phone call from my chairman and he, he was screaming at me. I mean, just, and and, and I, I knew this about him, but it usually wasn't at me. He would do it at other people and I would watch. But he he did it at me and and there were explanations for what he was upset about that I was trying to give tell him. And he, the more I tried to talk, the more he got fired up and the more I felt like I was, it was really that feeling like I'm sinking in quicksand and the more I talk, the worse it's getting. And so finally I just stopped talking and I... I was just so bothered by it because I always tell people, you know, if somebody goes off and you don't take it personally, it's probably their stuff. Well, I was in the middle of one of these accelerated leadership programs and I went in the next morning, we had a meeting and I shared with them what was going on and how I felt about it and that I felt it personally attacked and on and on. I said, look, we're not all perfect. I I suggest you not take it personally, but sometimes it gets to us. Mm -hmm. I waited about a week or two uh, and then I wanted to talk to the chairman about it. I wanted to approach him and let him know um, a little more about that call and the impact it had and so forth. And so he said, I want to talk to you about that bad call that we had. And he goes, What call? <laughs> I said, You remember the call where you got all of it, like I, I don't know what you're talking about. And through that conversation became crystal clear to me that he just needed to vent and he had to get it off his chest. And once he did that, he moved on. It wasn't really even about me, it wasn't personal. And I went back and I shared that with the group. So There are lots of little things that they can learn just by observing, but also by us sharing what's really happening in our lives. And I think that's true. When I tell stories like that to them, that's really what builds the trust. They know they can talk to me about anything after that.
0: Well, I think there are two things important about that story. So it's that authenticity and transparency is one, and two, you completed the loop. So you said, "This, this is what happened. And then two weeks later, when there was the conclusion or the completion, you looped them into that so that they could see the entire trajectory. And right. I think that's important. We don't always get the full picture uh, and we don't always think to give that full picture.
1: Right, true, very true.
0: I remember um, Dr. Phil in his earlier years, I think on Oprah, and he was saying that you know when kids see their parents fight, they they see the fight they see the argument whatever they don't usually see the resolution and so to them there was this problem kind of like the problem you had with the chairman uh-huh. but if they never saw the resolution then that's still you know this this bubbling you know probably miasma of emotions <laughs> yeah. and um and i really took that to heart so my husband who is who is my second husband and Uh, My children's, well, they're grown now, but their stepfather, whenever Mark and I have an issue and if if they've been, you know, if they've heard it, uh, you know, they were in the presence or they knew, I would always come back around and say, you know, we had this problem. This is what it was about. Here's how we resolved it. So that, you know, even if they're, you know, young adults, they at least get that completion because I thought that makes perfect sense to give that, that full picture.
1: Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that's really
0: important. Yeah. So um, a question I am asking, you know, all my guests, you know, during these last several months is, so how has COVID-19 uh, affected you and the business and the services you provide? You
1: know, it's interesting. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, people ask me, you know, where are companies at in, in, in terms of being open to investing in their future? And there are companies that think, especially in some industries right now where people have downtime, it's a great time to invest in them, to have them prepared. So when we turn the corner, they've got a competitive advantage. At the same time, they don't know what their revenue stream is gonna look like in six months. So they're reluctant to pull the trigger. Um, so I, my business has, has, I've learned some things like Zoom is a tool that I use much more than I did before. I used to go on-site and shadow people for coaching, and then we would do our calls by audio, old-school audio telephone, and what I find now is doing it through Zoom, so much more interaction happens. They, we see the looks on each other's faces. We say, okay, what was that look about? What's going on? And we actually go deeper, so I, I found that to be an effective tool, and I think that in general, the the level of business for me is actually growing. Uh but I also think that's a function of, I left Fox in 2018, and I've been growing this business outside of Fox. And I think it's part of my natural growth pattern where there's more word of mouth, more experience of what I've been doing. So I don't know that I would, um, I, I know the economy generally is recovering somewhat. I don't know if it's, it's from that or more just from my own individual company's growth trajectory. Um, but companies, you know, companies are struggling. And you can sit there and talk with them all day about the value of people being prepared and be more agile, be more flexible as the world throws curveballs at you constantly. Um, Part of my challenge is it takes a while to develop a level of trust with the decision maker to decide to have me come in and spend nine months working on the culture of the people in their company. Um, So I think it's a slow curve for me too. Um, it's a mixed bag with, with the environment that's out there. I mean, clearly some industries are thriving right now. Uh, Small businesses are struggling. And somebody said to me the other day, I thought this was something I really hadn't thought about. We all talk about, well, small business ingenuity, don't downplay America's creativity. People will come back with new businesses and on and on. However, we have a generation that's growing up where they get attached to certain brands. They shop online And they don't necessarily have that connection to the local small business in their neighborhood that previous generations have had. So I don't downplay American ingenuity. I just wonder how much the demand will be there for small business. And look, small business is still 90% of the businesses in the country, but that may also be a a change that's taking place in that. Yeah, the
0: change is you know, you see it everywhere. And I, our newsletter came out today and, and even in, in the article is, you know, we can never go back to the way it was before. And what I wrote is, but we've never been able to, and that's something it's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning, or I think even before we started recording is, you know, COVID-19, it just exposed whatever was there under the surface. And so, you know, these things that are changing, um, you know, the big industry giants that have been going out of business, you know, Sears, et cetera, um, they were on their way out. COVID just accelerated that. And so it's that, you know, we are, what's, what's been happening, what's, what's not always been there, but what's been developing. And now let's actually look at it and not wait for global crises to throw it in our face.
1: Yeah, we've been seeing it with, with the theatrical motion picture business for a decade. Decreasing in emissions, doing whatever we can to ma- maintain the levels of attendance that we could. Fewer and fewer pictures being big blockbusters that would get people to come out and go to the theater. And I know they're closed, but that theater going is never going back where it was. It was already being buoyed up. And I think it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a real challenge. On the back end of
0: this. Really interesting. I just read an article that um, Regal Cinemas is closing their theaters in the US and the UK. And and I started thinking the the article that I, I read was blaming it on James Bond because the, the movie got delayed to April of 2021. And I thought, I, I, who knows what life's going to look like, but I just don't think people are going to go to the theater in droves like right. they did before. So forget about packed theaters. Um, how are you know how are these you know studios going to make you know the millions of dollars it takes to produce a film with that? so it's it's all of these things that um and
1: that's something industry. that that's something that studios have been dealing with as streaming has been picking up over the years attendance at the theaters has been declining people decreasing their purchases of physical dvds that these economic challenges facing the studios were already coming down the path. And it, like you said, this just accelerated it.
0: Right. And you say, you know, DVD sales are decreasing. I'm still old school. I like my DVDs. <laughs> I like my CDs because guess what? If, if the, you know, the hard drive crashes, I still have my DVD and I still
1: have my What, what amazed me was when DVD was at its peak, how many people were still looking for VHS?
0: i know you go to yard sales and you see the vhs tapes i'm like i think we have a vhs player but it's tucked away somewhere that i don't even know that i could put it out whatever um so just a quick question since you were talking about you know how your business has been affected by COVID 19 what is an ideal size business or even industry uh that people would wanna to come to work with you and do one of your accelerated leadership programs?
1: You know, I, I don't know that there's an ideal size. Uh, it's more about the openness of people to what it is that we can bring. Uh, I, but having said that, I will tell you that developing that trust for nine months or trust to bring in the nine month program is more challenging in a larger organization uh, for a number of different reasons. One, sometimes HR is protective of bringing things in from the outside that they didn't create or identify themselves. Uh, sometimes the large organizations have some of their own programs. They may be more of a management training, I find, in a lot of companies, but they, they believe that they already have what they need. The, yet the economies of scale of having those work for my non-month program, I'd say ideally somewhere between 100 and 300 people, is would be a sweet spot because then you can take 25 people, do a nine month accelerated leadership program. And those 25 people truly can influence Mm -hmm. the rest of the organization very quickly. So that's probably the sweet spot.
0: That's, that's helpful. I think that's helpful for the listeners too, as well to think about, you know, where um...
1: I've done smaller ones and I've adapted the program for smaller groups. Um, It just makes it easier economically if they're you know, influencing a larger organization. That's all. But, um, you know, I've done flexible pricing for small organizations. I, I really am doing this because I want to be uh, a, a change agent in these organizations and really help them grow and experience what's possible. And so I'm excited. I, I do, I love doing these discussions like we're doing right now. I don't necessarily love doing all of the things to get my name out there in the marketing and all that. I love being in the room or in the virtual room, really watching that growth happen. So if there's an opportunity in a small organization, I'll, I'll find a way to make it work.
0: That's fantastic. So Dean, tell, um, tell my listeners where they can find out more about you, your company, and especially the Accelerated Leadership Program.
1: Okay. Uh, the easiest place is at Hallettleadership.com. That's my homepage. And it shows the different services that we offer. Uh, they can go there. I'm also, it, you won't see it yet, it's not out there, but I am writing my first book, which really lays out the foundation of, of how I got into this and how it works and why, and, and so forth. And the name of that book, which is probably at least a couple months away, uh, but we do have a, a name locked in, is Accelerated Leadership, How Successful Companies Develop High Performance Cultures. So and, um, at some point, we'll have that available for, for uh, pre-order on my website.
0: Congratulations. Thanks. Something yeah, that's a do.
1: whole new world for me. <laughs> I was going to say,
0: and something to do in your spare time, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, Dean, thank you so much for being a part of uh, When People Thrive, Companies Thrive. It has been such a delight and really some amazing food for thought. If you could leave our our listeners with one nugget and it could be about leadership or it could be about something else. What would that nugget be?
1: You know, I, it, I, I go probably to a book that I read, just the title of the book, which says it all to me, Collaboration Begins With You. I think there are people that are unhappy with their cultures and their companies and they're waiting for something to come from the top down to start more collaborative teamwork kinds of things. And we all in our areas have the ability to start imp- impacting that right away. We can start reaching out and including somebody else in a, in a, in our thoughts. We can share more about ourselves. We can find a way to, whether it's with a mentor or somebody else, push each other to, to be better. Um, but don't wait for somebody else. Life is too short. Um, and if you can infect the culture and be a change agent for that, go for it. I love that.
0: Infect the culture. I love that. All right. Well, make sure to check out Dean at HallettLeadership.com. And until next time, may you thrive.